This is Will Baker. Welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. As usual, I always love it when I interview a student. And Callan Benson is a fascinating student who's won some recent accolades. Callan, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you here at uh, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's headquarters in Annapolis, the Merrill Center. So you recently won a prestigious award from the National Aquarium as part of their Youth Ocean Conservation Summit for your project called Parachutes for the Planet. Give us some background. Tell us about Parachutes for the Planet. Well, Parachutes for the Planet started last year um, after the, well, actually two years ago, after the election of President Trump. Um, I was very fed up and annoyed at adult leadership on climate change. Um, so I had this idea to create a giant monarch butterfly, and I wanted to have this giant monarch butterfly to represent youth voices at the People's Climate March in DC in 2017. So we couldn't really figure out how we were, how were we going to make a giant monarch butterfly. So we thought about it a little bit and we came up with the idea of a play parachute. A so, play parachute? Yes, mm -hmm. a play parachute. So it's, you've probably seen the um, the round pieces of fabric with handles on them where kids play with them mm -hmm. and they'll bounce them up and down. So we got one of those except we got a white one and it's 24 feet in diameter. Jeez. <laughs> And it took us a week to, um, a week and tons of Sharpies to draw out this giant monarch butterfly. And we did it. It was my mom, my brother, and I. And we just spent the entire week putting Sharpie marker on this. Used on up this. a lot of orange and black Sharpies, I'll bet you. Well, it was black Sharpies that we used. So you just, you, you didn't do it in color. Well, that's the trick. Okay, we, I'll be um, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> we, we put on this outline of a monarch butterfly with um, the outline of a world and a world behind it. And we took it around to schools and clubs in the DC metropolitan area. And we covered it in signatures of kids. So it has over 1600 signatures from kids all around the DC Baltimore metropolitan area. And that's the color. So kids would sign in orange, blue, and green to create this vibrant butterfly that we took to the People's Climate March. So after that, um, a kid who signed it um, said, hey, my family has this organization called the Mother Earth Project. Um, we'd like to talk to you. So we talked it a little bit, and then last December they said, we would like to take the project global and that is how that's parachutes for the planet so the goal of parachutes for the planet is to give youth a voice on climate change and what we do is we have a video explaining parachutes for the planet and explaining how to make one so what we have is we're having kids all around the world to create a parachute by taking a sheet and drawing a circle on it and then putting on it 
whatever they want. So the one that we made had the butterfly, and then we made another one with the bay on it. And we've gotten parachutes from all over the place, the Marshall Islands. Um, there was a really cool group in Lithuania that created their own how-to video in Lithuanian to send around, which was just incredible. Um, there's a little girl named Ileana in Kenya who's seven years old, who she's working with some people that she will be going to five schools in Kenya and making five parachutes and at each school planting 100 trees. So there will be 500 trees and five parachutes when that is done. And it's, it just, I get so excited. <laughs> it's wonderful. Oh. I think, I think, uh, sitting across from you, I, I completely get it. I think our listeners will get just how excited, how inspired, how inspiring you are by your voice. But tell us a little bit, what does this mean to you having an idea that has gone sort of viral in a sense across the world. It just, it means that there are people out there listening and trying to, trying to come up with a way to use their voice. And it means that we're giving people a way to use their voice, which is just incredible to me. <laughs> What if, if you could, I, I sense you're a dreamer, uh, dream with us for a second and tell me where you think this might go and what could be the impact of it? Well, our goal is to get people to think about climate change and to, to think about climate change and use that in their decision making. So just picking up a plastic water bottle and instead going, hey, I could get a reusable water bottle. Just changing people's perception and changing people's thoughts on climate change. That's the, that's the big goal. <laughs> and you're both young but also mature, and young is a relative term. Uh, you're a ninth grader. You're homeschooled, so you're in the ninth grade realm. Are you 15, 16? 14. 14. You're very mature, very well spoken. Um, where would you, well, let's start, let's move backwards a little bit. What got you interested in the environment? What got you concerned about climate change? Give a little bit of background about how you got to where you are today. Well, when I was nine, um, we had this conversation about climate change and we were thinking about it and my brother and I were kind of upset and not happy about it. So, but um, we had this, so we were trying to come up with what could we do? And we had this wonderful opportunity because the first People's Climate March in 2014 was going to be happening that year. And my mom said, well, you're upset. You're not, you're not happy about this. Why don't we go to that? And just look at the look at the activism. So we went and it it was an incredible experience. There was um, I remember there was a dinosaur made out of a car, uh, made out of car parts. So they had taken apart this car and made a dinosaur out of it. Um, there was a giant inflatable cow, um, and just all these things that got us really excited and happy to do it. And then ever since then we've been kind of involved in environmental work and our local government and that sort of thing and then um and then it also 
and then the big boost really did come last election that did you, you get a little motivated <laughs> <laughs> you know um i think the world has been inspired by the students at parkland you and the work you've been doing came before that but how, did that have an impact on you as well as to what young people are capable of doing if they work together and have a vision? It does. I did go to the March for the Lives, uh, March for Our Lives, and it does it does show that when people when people really care about something, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter if you can vote or not. It just matters your passion and your ability to use your voice. So yes, it did. <laughs> it's 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 really extraordinary how they reacted and how quickly they mobilized and got things done and will continue. So that leads me to my next question. What's in your future? Well, there's there's a lot going on. Um our first our first display is going to be on is going to be in conjunction with the Zero Hour March, which is a youth-led climate march happening this happening this summer. They're going to have an entire climate weekend actually. So the nineteenth is their lobby day. The twentieth is their art day. Of May. Of July. G of July. Yes. Okay, July nineteenth and twentieth. Yes, and then the twenty-first is their march and we're going to be involved with those festivities and we're going to have a lot of parachutes there um, for their art day and the march and we're trying to get um they're having a lobby day and going around to senators and we're trying to get a parachute from every state that the senators that they're lobbying they're trying to get them to sign a off fossil fuel pledge so a pledge that says we're not going to take money from fossil fuels um, and then in the fall, in October, the weekend of the 15th, yes, um, we're going to be having another display in the, on the Georgetown Waterfront Park. Um, and that, uh, that's going to be our kind of inaugural display. Hopefully we'll have some exciting festivities surrounding that as well. So, so you're also a member of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's Student Bay Advisory Council. Mm -hmm. Will you be um, bringing that group into the fold for the July meetings and trying to encourage Chesapeake Bay-oriented youth to get involved? Yes, um, they're actually making a parachute, so Excellent. we're working Excellent. on that, and we're going to be working on that at the Student Leader Confluence, which is in June. Um, and we're, yeah, and I'm, since I'm on the eastern shore of the United States, no, western. Uh, You're on the western, western shore yeah, of the bay, the, the eastern shore of the United States. Yes, you were right the first time. I get time. things yeah. mixed up because of the bay and the United <laughs> right. States. It's, right. <laughs> I do that a lot. But um, so we're trying to get people involved, especially for the zero hour march, um, because they can't bring people, they can't bring youth from all over the, I mean, they can obviously, but it's hard to bring youth from all over the United States to one march. So they're going to be having sister marches. Um, but we're trying to get youth in the area excited and involved in that. Um, yeah. 
And uh, our esteemed producer of these podcasts, Lauren Barnett, is sitting here. And Lauren, we need to put the links from their website onto our website and really use this as a way to generate excitement and encouragement and work very closely with you between now and the middle of July. So mm -hmm. that's terrific. I should also mention uh, that the Student Bay Advisory Council has been really valuable to CBF over the years. And in fact, one of the prior presidents, Devin Ogburn, has just come on the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's board as one of our Stanley trustees. We have a group of trustees who are under 30, and Devin will be coming, is now uh, on our board as part of that. So this could be in your future, um, you know, Kaylin. <laughs> think about that too, going down the road. Uh, the, the National Aquarium's Youth Conservation Summit and where you were given the Promise for the Planet Award. What did that mean to you? I, I was excited being there because it, what I saw is a bunch of kids who are interested in specifically the ocean, but just the earth in general and science, which... Made you feel you're not alone. <laughs> exactly, which being homeschooled and being doing all this activism it's very easy to feel isolated so it's it, it was very it was nice being there and seeing all the kids and having them be excited and listening to the speakers it was it was wonderful what what was it like when you went around to all the schools because as you say you are homeschooled so when you went around to all the schools getting the signatures, that must have been uh, an experience that was sort of advancing your own personal growth as well. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, I, I hate public speaking. I get very nervous about public speaking. You're doing great speaking. on here. <laughs> uh, so going to the schools each time, it would be like, hmm, I think I'm going to speak now. But then I could also be asked to speak here or here. So you had to be prepared and you had to know when you're going Flexible. to speak. And you and just seeing all these, it was just seeing all the kids and see, having them be interested and having them listen and be excited to sign this parachute. It was very exciting. And yeah, it did make me, it did get me to look around and look at their environments and look at my environment and just think about what else is happening. So did you come into schools into an assembly or a group or a class? Well, it kind of did. It Probably kinda, different at all yeah, different schools. There was one school we went and we were, we went to their environmental club and they signed it. And then the environmental club actually took the parachute and took it around to different classes and and had other kids sign it. Um, but then there was another one where we met up with a group of kids called the Green Leaders at Hampstead Hill Academy. Um, and we went around to different science classes. So I actually went into the classes and spoke a little bit with a Green Leader and then the, they signed it. But then there was another school that we had it open in the gymnasium and just classes came in every 15 minutes and signed the parachute, talked about climate change. So there were a lot of different ways. It kind of depended on who you were working with and where, where they were in the school and what their role was. I'm going to let you go, but I got a couple more things I want you to, to, uh, to tell us about. Um, I remember the first time, I think it was the first time I was with Devin Ogburn, who I mentioned before, who was president of the, of the Bay Advisory, Student Bay Advisory Council for CBF. 
And I remember distinctly, we were at a rally in the Maryland General Assembly on Lawyers Mall in downtown Annapolis. And she was saying, don't backtrack on the Bay. That was the sort of title of her talk, the theme of her talk. She was saying, this is our, my generation's future, her generation's future, and how important it was for her to communicate that. I get a sense from you that it, there's a lot of similarity there in terms of your concerns about climate change and its effect on your future. And there's nothing wrong. You're talking about you and what you're being handed in terms of this planet. Am I right? And is is that part of your motivation? Exactly. I don't. I don't believe that adults have done enough to protect the futures, uh, the future of other generations. And I'm trying to get them to listen. And I've spent way too much time on lawyers' mall. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I just. I don't think. And then we are backtracking right now with federal regulations being cut and the. EPA website being completely scrubbed of climate change. It just, I don't think adults are listening. You smile a lot. You look like you're a really nice person, but I sense sort of bubbling under the surface. There's some anger. There's some frustration. I mean, get it out. Tell, tell us what, what this means to you in terms of what you might inherit and what should adults be doing? What should other students be doing right now? Well, adults should be thinking more about climate change and thinking about what they're doing. And I mean, there's <laughs> there's so many things that are going wrong with sea level rise and saltwater intrusion. You're thinking it's staring us right in the face. And yet there are still people who don't believe in it. And I remember talking, we were at a, um, we were at a, Oh, what was it? Uh, a discussion with our representatives, our local representatives, and my mother asked a question about climate change. And this is this is Ed Riley, this is Sid Saab, this is Mike Malone, and this is um, McConkie. And we're all there, and all of them are like, "Oh, well, I don't think. I'm not sure if it's man-made." And then one said, "I doubt that. I I don't think there is inconclusive evidence." And I'm like. Yes, there is. Come on. 97% of scientists believe that climate change is real. You can't say that that isn't a consensus. That is so close. Scientists, scientists agree on almost nothing, but they pretty much agree on this. So it just, it aggravates me that people don't, people need to wake up and listen to the science and listen to what's going on around them. And kids, Kids should be thinking about what their future holds in store, but at the same time, they also have a lot going on. So right. I don't like to, there's so many kids and I talk to friends who are in school and I'm like, whoa, your schedule is nuts. <laughs> I can't, I can't even compare it to that. But, um, but just think about what your future holds in store and what, what the adults are saying, almost as if your future doesn't matter, but my existence does. So... Yeah, I do. I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And even those adults who think that it may be real, but it's not going to happen for a long time, they're dismissing 
what might happen to the next generation just because they don't think it will affect their current generation. I think they're wrong about that. I think we're going to see changes happen very quickly. We already but see changes. You're already seeing them. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, 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 the 97%, the, we've heard the example used so often of, you know, if you had 97 doctors telling you one thing and three doctors telling you another, are you going to go with the three doctors? It, to me, it's just madness that the scientific certainty is so conclusive. And yet, you know, the media sometimes fuel this because in the media, you often have, you, you, the, the, the sort of rule is you often have to show both sides. So even if one side is only represented by 3%, the media try to give the similar attention to both sides. And I think that fuels part of it as well. But we had a very senior scientist in here at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation talking to some staff and trustees. And he said, he gave us two statistics that were chilling. He said, first, if we do nothing, the sea level rise in the Chesapeake Bay will raise will rise six feet by the end of this century. Six feet, and that was a conservative estimate. That would pretty much wipe out the entire eastern shore. Mm -hmm. He then said, if we don't do anything for another, he then said, by the end of the next century, sea level will rise 24 feet. Again, that's at the lower conservative end of the uh, end uh, side of the spectrum minimum of 24 feet. And then what he said that shocked us all was he said, we can't start working on that 24 feet halfway through the next century. We have a window of 10 to 20 years from today that we can do things that will give us at least a chance to make sure the six feet and the 24 feet don't happen. But we only have a decade or two to act and that was chilling. Exactly, and we're already seeing it happening. Um, if you go down to Annapolis, there's nuisance flooding all the time. Um, they call it nuisance flooding, yes. as if it's not serious, it's just a nuisance. Exactly, yeah. and the city of Annapolis is looking to spend millions of dollars on protection of its waterfront. Um, the Naval Academy is looking to spend millions of dollars on the protection of its grounds. And I mean, I volunteer at the Annapolis Summer Garden Theater, which is right there by on Eco Alley, and my grandfather's on the board. If it's if we've had a little bit of rain, if it's a high tide, you're driving through water to get there. It just, it, I can't see how people don't see it's happening. And you know, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation has a uh, very vibrant operation, robust operation, as as we say, uh, in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Uh, and in Hampton Roads, it's even worse. In fact, it's one of the two or three places in this country that it is the worst. And there's a, the largest naval base in the world is in Hampton Roads. The military, Department of Defense, has been a leader in climate change concerns uh, for years. They see it happening. So it's, yes. um, it's, it's hard to believe the deniers are still out there. And I often say, Let's forget about uh, whether you believe climate change or not. What do you think about air pollution? And the answer is usually, well, I'm against air pollution. And I say, well, then we're on the same page because reducing air pollution is really all about addressing climate change.
Exactly. And sometimes that'll get through to people. Sometimes. I mean, what really mm. aggravates me is that the Department of Defense is looking to spend a lot of money on protecting its naval bases and other places um, against cl uh, climate change and sea level rise and other effects of climate change, but they don't talk about it. They never talk about it. We we were talking to a person at the Naval Academy who was talking about their um, their ideas to keep their building from getting flooded out and that sort of thing, and they just they they don't talk to the public about the climate change issue and the fact that they're going to be spending a bunch of money to fix this, which just it aggravates me because. The Department of Defense is a place that a lot of people trust and that a lot of people look to when we're in crisis. And yet they're not they don't want to lose that support by talking about something that's maybe a little controversial. So, yeah, I hear you. And I think it, in the last 12 to 18 months, that's been exacerbated. But I also know and I, we have actually had speakers from DOD speak and their concern as well as their facilities is that, think of this, a one meter rise in sea level worldwide would produce over 300 million refugees just in Southeast Asia alone. And the military is worried about how destabilizing that will be to world politics, world government, world uh, world affairs, and they, they are very concerned about that. So I. I think we've seen a dampening in the last uh, year and a half for obvious reasons coming out of Washington, but I do think they can be allies and uh, we need to encourage them and your generation needs to encourage them uh, as well, as much as you can. Well, you've, um, you've received tremendous accolades um, across the board for your work, uh, Kaylin. Uh, we look forward to seeing what you can produce in the future. And I know when I say you, it's part of a team effort. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Keep your spirit up. Make sure you never get discouraged and have that limit what you want to dream about and what you want to try to achieve because you really are our future, you and on all of the young people who are thinking the way you are. So thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful speaking with you. This is Will Baker for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, our continuing podcast series every two weeks, Turning the Tide, Saving Chesapeake Bay. Kaylin Benson, thanks so much. Thank you.